Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello and welcome to episode one of the A24 Project. I'm Lee Hutchison and every week I'm going to be joined by author, critic and fellow podcaster Dallas King to review and look at the films of A24. So Dallas, welcome to, to episode one. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great and thank you for having me. Every two weeks, me and Dallas will bring you a new episode of the A24 Project where we'll review, discuss and analyse two movies an episode released by distribution company A24. And this journey will start all the way back in 2013 with a glimpse into the mind of Charles Swan III and Ginger and Rosa. And in the future, we'll be covering some of A24's biggest and most popular films like Lady Bird, The Disaster Artist, Under the Skin, Hereditary, The Lobster, to name but a few, but also highlighting some of those releases that you might not have seen or they fell underneath your radar. And I hope you'll join us in revisiting or watching these movies for the first time with us and discussing the work of some incredible film directors, writers and stars too. In each episode, we'll also look at some of the latest news from A24 in terms of future releases, trailer reaction, and if 8th grade will ever get a UK release in the cinema. So Dallas, how are you feeling at kind of the start of this journey into the back catalogue of A24 films? Is there any in future episodes that you're looking into, to, looking forward to discussing? Anything that you know stands out for you? What, what's kind of ahead on your radar? Well, I'm very excited uh, by this project because, I mean, for the last couple of years, I think, a24 have been one of the most consistent you know distributors of some of the top quality films over the last few years i mean obviously they peaked a couple of years ago when you know they won the oscar for best picture with moonlight but they've released some fantastic films more films than i actually have realized when we actually started you know discussing this project but highlights for me i mean certainly under the skin is one of my favorite films of the last sort of five ten years so looking at that I think that's actually in the same episode as Locke, which is one of those great films that features Tom Hardy and just Tom Hardy in a car talking to people on the phone about concrete. And trust me, it is such a great film and it's so much better than that simple synopsis sounds. Uh, but there's some fantastic films here. I mean, certainly even just in the past sort of six months, we've watched Hereditary and First Reformed uh, and Lady Bird uh, that have all come out over here and Really, they're on, on an absolute roll, and you know people talk about how Disney are the, the kings of the box office, and no one can compete with them. But in terms of quality, I I would say that A twenty four are are tough to beat at the moment. Yeah, and I think like it kind of with with filibuster, we, we, as as much as we cover some of the the bigger movies as well, I think what things that we're truly passionate about is sort of the original films as well, and and 
you know you, you can have so much debate and discussion about some of these movies that sometimes it feels like with with say like a, the latest marvel movie or the latest dceu slog it's always like what's the rotten tomato score how does this connect to kind of a wider universe it feels like sort of a24 in the past few years uh, you know especially really developed this sort of cult appeal and you know their their trailers are so well marketed that they're you know they're, they're a fascinating machine and i think for for a lot of people like the, the kind of two movies we're talking about today you know the first two releases sort of that a did but for something like spring breakers really kickstarted it all and it, like they grab people's attention and i think that gets fans of original film like ourselves kind of talking and there's a, there's a few movies sort of that from their kind of releases that i've not seen you know so i'm excited to kind of go through these movies and talk about them and i think it won't just be something probably simple as a, a review of some of these films i think it'll be interesting to talk about them and kind of the culture of the time as well you know kind of what what what's first reformed kind of saying about kind of religion for example or even things like the children act which isn't an a24 release in the uk but is an a24 release in america but at the same time we've got a movie in the uk as well about something very similar as well and i think it's going to be interesting to see what kind of debates and discussions we have about these kind of each and uh, original films and brilliant directors from dennis villaluza uh, we've got greta gerwig we've got paul schrader sofia coppola we've got so many interesting and exciting kind of directors and, and let alone actors to kind of talk about and i think it's going to be going to be exciting to talk about this with someone that knows film as well as you dallas well, that's very kind of you to say, and I think I mean, looking at the the back catalogue here, you know, there's a lot of films which I still haven't seen yet, and I'm looking forward to to seeing them for the first time. But like a lot of these films, these are not you know your blockbuster films. Every now and again, you're going to get a breakthrough hit, such as maybe uh, like uh, Under the Skin or Moonlight or even uh, Hereditary. I think is is one that's sort of. Um, taken on a, a life of its own has become a, a much bigger film than they initially suspected. But even those films, uh, you know, sometimes you, you find it difficult to see in the cinemas. Uh, I'm not sure how easy it is to see them in America, but over in the UK, you're basically looking at your art house independence or a very limited run in the sort of multiplexes. Uh, but I mean, we're both lucky to have uh, independent cinemas in, in our city, so we can catch most of these films. But again, it, it's, it's some of these films you will only be able to see them on on streaming services or when you get the DVD. Um, I'm now working in a library and I've actually been trolling through my library catalogue and I've found about a third of the films are available on DVD. So we've clearly got a very good DVD selection uh, still at the library, which is is good, uh, especially now that we no longer have blockbusters or anything like that. So, um, I mean, I wasn't really familiar with A24, I think really until about, two or three years ago when I started to to see their name appearing before certain films. I mean, a lot of the films, I think, are sometimes co-productions uh, with other people. And there's a lot of the films on here which are, I think, co-financed by Film 4 over in the UK, which for me are is one of the best sort of film production companies. That, you know, it was an off-branch of Channel 4, the TV channel over here but they have produced some fantastic films over the last sort of 20 years and such as Ex Machina was one of the big ones that was uh, produced by them and the A24 really seemed like the sort of American version of that and it's fantastic that they managed to sort of work together on, on getting these films the releases that they deserve. 
Absolutely. So for those who perhaps, you know, if you're listening to sort of this A24 podcast, you'd assume you might have kind of a bit of a knowledge of it. But if you're kind of coming off this off of kind of listening to our work on Filibuster or The Nerd Party, for example, for those that perhaps aren't familiar with it, if you're a film fan, or a, you know, fellow uh, modern independent cinema fan, there's a good chance that you will have seen kind of the, the hype, the logo at the start of trailers, probably had your hipster best friend trying to convince you to watch one of their films like A Ghost Story or Spring Breakers. But A24 is an entertainment company that was kind of founded in 2000. 2012 that focuses on film distribution and kind of more often now production and their focus has been to provide a platform for films with a distinctive point of view and in the past few years as you've kind of mentioned they've achieved great plaudits success and obviously won an oscar for for moonlight and for those who have kind of always wondered the a24 name is named after a stretch of highway in italy where daniel katz daniel fenkel and john hodges came up with the idea for this production company so we're kind of recording this pilot around a month before the eventual release but obviously in future episodes we we will kind of look at news from trailers release dates upcoming projects and news but anything we say just now would be out of date so we'll, we'll kind of pass on that but to kind of launch the the a24 project we're going to start with the first two movies that they released a glimpse into the mind of charles swan the third and ginger and rosa both these movies uh, were bought after the Toronto Film Festival and it's interesting to think that the first two movies that we could have been discussing today actually could have been Francis Ha and The Place Beyond the Pines and A24 lobbied hard for those two movies and the A24 team had a good history with The Place Beyond the Pines production producers but ultimately they didn't get a call back and they were more confident in actually getting Francis Ha even putting together a kind of distribution plan for the film but it went to another distribution company in the end. However in future we will probably have we will have the chance to talk about Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach uh, and get a fix on this show but the the two movies that would eventually come out first would be A Glimpse into the Mind of Charles Swan III which we'll talk about first and Ginger and Rosa and an odd bit of trivia is that Ginger and Rosa and Spring Breakers both came out on the same day but due to alphabetical reasons Ginger and Rosa comes second in their release list over Spring Breakers so we're going to kind of dive into A Glimpse Inside the Mind of Charles Swan III which is written directed by Roman Coppola a last name that's synonymous with filmmaking and he was one of the co-writers on this year's Isle of Dogs 2. So this was uh, Coppola's second feature uh, film as a director but he's largely been a second unit director on Sofia Coppola films and Wes Anderson films like The Life Aquatic uh, with Steve Zissou and The Grand Budapest Hotel. So those familiar unfamiliar with uh, the inside the mind of a glimpse inside the mind of Charles Swan III it's in the, set in the 1970s and a successful graphic designer and ladies man Charles Swan III played by Charlie, Swe- Charlie Sheen is dumped by his girlfriend Ivana and it throws his life into a tailspin he does not know whether he loves her loves her or hates her or wants her back or never wants to see her again along with his best friend Kirby played by Jason Schwartzman and his manager Saul played by Bill Murray Charles starts to suffer from nightmares fever dreams of past relationships and hits rock bottom as he tries to cover from recent breakup and tries to turn his life around so the first A24 film was released on January 8th 2013 and the film was released through video on demand and had a limited run in cinema later on. The film received largely negative reaction and has a 15% uh, review on Rotten Tomatoes. So Dallas, what was your kind of reaction to this film and do you think it kind of deserves such a lowly rating on Rotten Tomatoes and kind of the critical mauling that it got? In a sh- very short answer, yes it does. Uh, this was probably one of the worst films that I've watched in a long time. 
and this is coming from me basically watching the Predator the week before it was as bad as this I mean I found my mind wandering in the same way I guess that Charles Swan third's mind wanders into these sort of daydreams and stuff like that and you know, it's a kind of film that if I'd watched it in a cinema, I would have been able to concentrate more on it. But because I wasn't enjoying the film, uh, my mind did wander while I was watching it on DVD at home. But it was just really, really bad. I'm sorry. It was just, I find it dull. I mean, there's films that have done the sort of, you know, fantasy sort of sequences and stuff so much better. And I was sitting there thinking... This is Roman Coppola, who's like the son of Francis Ford Coppola. Um, maybe he's a really good actor, and the directing gene went to Sophia instead because she's was a, a terrible actress in Godfather Part Three. So maybe he should try acting. <laughs> but then, for some reason, I, I hadn't twigged and sort of went on to IMDb afterwards and find out that he's the guy that's written a lot of the Wes Anderson films. He's been an Oscar nominee yeah. for Moonrise Kingdom, and apparently. Oddly enough, an Oscar nominee for Best Visual Effects for Bram Stoker's Dracula, which smells a lot of nepotism in that basically he got a job working on his dad's film and somehow managed to end up with an Oscar nomination. But I couldn't believe that this script was from the same guy that has written Isle of Dogs and Moonrise Kingdom and Fantastic Mr. Fox. I mean, it's like, I didn't get it. I couldn't believe it. And, you know, this is... This was sort of film, sort of 2012. So sort of, I can't. I'm not entirely convinced of the timeline of Charlie Sheen, but I can't remember if this is like pre, you know, sort of Tiger's Blood and winning and stuff like that, or where it comes in this sort of Charlie Sheen sort of rise and fall and rise and fall. But you know, for me, it was just dull, 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 and you know, it was sad to see sort of people like Jason Schwartzman and Bill Murray sort of turning up in this when. It, it's, it seemed like they were basically doing a favor for someone who's you know just starting out in filmmaking, but he's not starting out in filmmaking. This is what <laughs> I couldn't believe. But yes, no, terrible, absolutely terrible. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. It's a it's a terrible film, and but I can almost sort of see where kind of I can imagine if you've kind of just founded a sort of a distribution company. There's there's probably a sense of nerves in that, and and you think of something like. They could have gone with Francis Ha and the place beyond the pines. That like there is this alternative universe where those are the first releases where they are brilliant movies of the time. I mean, Francis Ha is in my top ten of all time, and the place beyond the pines is a movie I, I think so incredibly highly of. Whereas this kind of movie just sort of it strikes me as maybe a bit of a panic buy in a way that kind of going into this movie, I hadn't seen it until we started this project where I thought, right, I'm gonna go check this out. You know, and I kind of looked at it and I went, okay, Bill Murray, Jason Schwartzman, a Coppola. You know, it's got Mary Elizabeth Winstead in it. It has, you know, a really interesting kind of cast. It's got Aubrey Plaza as well, and it kind of has when you watch sort of the trailer, or if you were sort of kind of watching it perhaps in the background while doing something else, you might kind of feel you're in sort of a bit of a Wes Anderson kind of movie at some point. Kind of the use of color, some of the the kind of character moments. But it is a really poor movie. But I can imagine if you were sort of looking to market something, you think, right, let's get that kind of Bill Murray, Jason Schwartz movie is. And it's something you could feel kind of confident in that's kind of good. I mean, you were you were saying, like, where does this sort of land in sort of the Charlie Sheen kind of mold and sort of timeline? I mean, at the kind of the time, uh, kind of David Fenkel from, from A24 was like, 
he was describing it sort of an interesting place there where here where Charlie Sheen was on the verge of a comeback but kind of halfway through the campaign for the film it kind of swung around the other way I mean he didn't even turn up for the movie premiere I mean they found out two hours before that he's not going to make it he's not going to be able to do this thing I mean kind of what a way for your first movie distribution to kind of come out and I think Charlie Sheen is okay in it but it it's very odd watching him in this he feels you know he's a character that obviously he's done really well in sort of television and sort of previously in kind of movies perhaps of sort of the 80s whereas in this he just doesn't feel like that great an actor and you know even when you've got sort of Jason Schwartzman and uh, Bill Murray kind of phoning it in he's still not as good as them at their kind of half level of kind of movies so it's it's a very odd movie and but I did find it, it definitely had a vision, like that much was clear in terms of the, the design. I can imagine it's it's an easy one to be swayed into kind of this movie, but it's it's kind of one that you, it doesn't grab your attention and it's just a very uninspiring movie and, and a bit of a, a disappointing one to start off on, but you can only get better, I think. Absolutely, I mean, the only way is up from here and I think, yeah, I can see what you're saying about maybe sort of panic buy at the festival when the sort of your first choice sort of falls through. I don't know if anyone on here sort of ever watches The Apprentice, but there's always like a a show where they have to basically listen to pitches for products and then decide which one they want to go for and then sell it at some fair. And basically there's always one item that everyone really wants. And then as always, one team basically mucks up the pitch, doesn't get that, and then they have to struggle and then decide to quickly pick another item to sell and they never are able to sell it as well. And this kind of feels, yeah, like like that. And that they had their eye on the prize. They wanted these two films. They didn't get them. So they've gone with this. And in a way, I can see why you, you know, you've got the name Coppola attached to it. So, I mean, there's marketing in that. You could market this, I'm sure, in a sort of Charlie Kaufman-esque sort of way in the fact that, you know, you're going inside the mind of someone and stuff like that. There's there's ways of doing it but just the ultimately the final product didn't match the the concept i think and yeah it's uh, an auspicious start but like you say the the only way is up from here on Abs- in. yeah absolutely it, it's it's certainly you know I, I think when kind of think about this is this probably the last movie that charlie sheen was the the kind of lead actor in i think it's 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 certainly kind of you know he, while he isn't great in it it shows that he could still kind of you know you know the fact that someone's written this movie that he could still put together kind of a, a a body of work a piece of work that he could release out there and and show it and it, it seems it seems a shame that he is a great comic talent and it seems to have kind of really dissipated and you know if this was really his big last hurrah it's a bit of a disappointing one to to go out on for sure but i don't think many people will will know about a glimpse inside the mind of charles swan the third so i can imagine charlie sheen's reputation for better or worse isn't really going to be impacted by this movie well yeah no the for the the longest time when I was trying to find this film, I thought it was like uh, the life and death of Charlie St. Cloud or whatever the Zac Efron one. Uh, so yes. I, I was quite confused when I got the DVD to find out it was a Charlie Sheen one. But no, Charlie Sheen's last lead role uh, was a 2017 movie called 9-11 about a group of five people who find themselves trapped in an elevator in the World Trade Center on 9-11. And just reading that and knowing Charlie Sheen's in it, I'm like, oh... So maybe it's best that we remember that this was maybe his last lead film role for a while. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, he's definitely got a bit of charisma and charm about him as this sort of lady man. And I think 
you know, it's certainly when you kind of read it, you know, you obviously everything that's kind of gone with his blood and you know his reputation with things like Playboy models, etc. It it definitely feels like a role that's written very much for Charlie Sheen, but it perhaps kind of lacks that little sparkle in the eye or the the swagger that you would associate with Charlie Sheen. It just feels a bit all over the place. Like you know, it it seems to be you know for for someone like kind of uh, for Coppola Roman Coppola he's an experienced guy he knows what he's kind of doing but this film just feels so erratic it feels like you look at that movie and think, oh, that must have been like a really first young, first-time director, not someone with the kind of experience and, and actually quality of screenwriting that we we know he can do with something like the kind of the Wes Anderson films as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't want to be completely negative uh, on the film, so I am trying to find some good points. I mean, and uh, one of them was uh, Catherine Winnick uh, as the ex-girlfriend Ivana. I thought she was actually very good in it and uh, she had a presence in the film and uh, I would like to see more from her. She hasn't done a huge amount uh, in terms of like lead roles. Um, she's had like small parts in like The Dark Tower and sort of Fifty First Dates and stuff like that. But I think that she, with the right role, I think that she could do uh, something uh, really quite interesting in, on the big screen. So definitely so as we kind of uh, have you got any kind of final thoughts on a glimpse inside the mind of charles swan the third uh only that uh i would uh, like to have no further glimpses inside the mind of charles swan the third or the fourth or the fifth <laughs> absolutely we, we don't have any of those sequels to look forward to in our, our kind of uh, our big watch project so we'll kind of dive into to the second movie so Coming second solely by the fact of alphabet, the the joy of the alphabet is Ginger and Rosa, which couldn't even be further from from a glimpse inside the mind of Charles Swan the Third. So, for those who aren't familiar with it, this is the first A twenty four film, as you kind of mentioned earlier, to be written and directed by a woman, English filmmaker Sally Porter, which kind of is even more sort of exciting kind of in this rewatch when you think of things like uh, the Marvel movies, which are. 20 movies odd in and it's only sort of later this year you know 10 years in before we get a kind of female directed movie you know things like star wars still haven't done it star trek still haven't done it you know obviously this is a distribution company so it is slightly different but it sort of shows already that diversity will be there not just in terms of the films but in terms of who they are representing um as filmmakers absolutely and sally potter is is someone who I wasn't hugely familiar with her work, but sort of looking at IMDb, she's kind of got the same sort of career trajectory as Lynn Ramsey and that, you know, her output is actually quite small in terms of the amount of films. I mean, she directed uh, Orlando with uh, Tilda Swinton in 92, and then you're looking at like uh, films in 97, uh, The Man Who Cried in 2000, then you're looking at sort of Rage 2009, and then this one 2012, and then it's taken another five years to follow that up with The Party, um, which was released earlier this year, which is actually a great sort of uh, chamber piece movie uh, with Kristen Scott Thomas, uh, Timothy Spall, and stuff like that, which is actually well worth a watch. But yeah, no, I thought this one is was leaps and bounds ahead in, in, in terms of quality, uh, and uh, really quite a, an interesting uh, take on the, on the coming of age story, I think. 
Absolutely. So, for those not familiar with with the film, it's set in London, 1962, and two teenage girls, Ginger, played by Elle Fanning, and Rosa, played by Alice Englart, are inseparable. And they play truant together, discuss religion, politics and hairstyles, and dreams of lives bigger than their mother's frustrated domesticity. But, as the Cold War meets the sexual revolution, and the threat of nuclear annihilation escalates, the lifelong friendship with the two girls is shattered by a clash of desire and a determination to survive. So when a24 purchased the USA rights um, at the Toronto Festival. They said, We fell in love with Ginger and Rosa, and we've been fans of Sally for a long time. She has crafted a touching, heartfelt, and extraordinary work, anchored by an absolutely incredible performance by Elle Fanning, which already has a tremendous amount of love from audiences and journalists alike. And we look forward to bringing this film to a wider audience and showing the world one of the best performances of the year. And that was reflected in sort of the positive reviews from critics, has an 81% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, so it looks like we've got a bit of a polar opposite film here, really, uh, from from Charles Swan and Dallas. So what what did you think when you kind of first saw this film? Did you watch this one for the first time, or is this one you had previously seen? This was a, another first watch for me. It's, it's one which I think I kind of was familiar with. I'd maybe sort of, I'd never seen it in the cinema, but I was aware that it got a, a small release or something. But yeah, no. I think the the main selling point of this film for me was the performance of of Elle Fanning. Um, I first saw her in Super Eight, which was released the year before, and there was a scene in that where you know she's basically a young girl who's been brought along to to film this Super Eight movie these kids are filming, and then she starts acting in that scene, and. Everyone is utterly transfixed by her, not only the, the boys who are filming her, but also the audience in the thing. And you're like, wow, she is unbelievable. And yeah, she sort of fulfills the, the promise of, of that role in this and delivers a, an impeccable uh, English accent as well. I thought the two young leads were fantastic. Alice Engler hasn't, hasn't done as much uh, following up. She was in Beautiful Creatures, which was one of those young adult sort of films which sadly never actually got a sequel but I thought it was much more interesting than the the likes of the Maze Runners and stuff like that but she was in Top of the Lake uh, which came which was a TV series which came out uh, I think last year and I thought she was fantastic in that as well and I thought it was just a really interesting take on the sort of coming of age story by setting it within you know this sort of turning point in history and sort of with the threat of nuclear war and what that does to to people and sort of the friendships and relationships with their parents as well. And I would have maybe liked to have seen maybe a bit more exploration into that sort of side of it, of the sort of going on the protest marches and stuff like that. But ultimately I came to realise that it was it was really about sort of Ginger. Uh, even though it's called Ginger and Rosa, it's, Ginger is the main character and it's sometimes about what Rosa does that influences her and her sort of emotional sort of progression throughout the film, I think. Absolutely. And I mean, it's crazy to think like Elle Fanning was 13 when this movie was originally like, you know, shot like that's a 13 year old kind of on screen. And I think with her, like you forget how long she's been kind of on the go, really, as an actress. Like I I always had it in my head that she was still kind of like, you know, when I watched The Neon Demon, I had it in my head that she was like really into her early 20s by that point. I mean, at this point, she's only 21. And you think of that, the people she's worked with, she's worked with Sofia Coppola a couple of times. She worked with Mike Mills on 20th Century Women, which we'll be discussing uh, further down the line. She's worked with Nicholas Winding Refn in The Neon Demon, where she's just absolutely fantastic in it. You know, 
she's she's done a lot of really good and exciting kind of movies and worked with a lot of great directors in such a small period of time and and this is a movie that i think you know she's fantastic in it and i mean her sort of anxiety about sort of the bomb and her relationship with her family and her friend you, you really buy into it and it's that that core of the film and i think it's it's really interesting kind of having this story about that kind of social anxiety, you know, family anxiety, and putting it at a time where it's almost hard for, for us as kind of the folk in our 30s to imagine what it was like during the height of the kind of Cold War where, you know, the idea that you believe that you could be, in, there was nuclear annihilation that, you know, you're, you're doing drills in school and you see the imagery on TV, you know, a bit later on of something like kind of threads, for example, where it's like, this is what could happen. And, you know, what that must have been like for a kid to, to believe that. I, I can't imagine how frightening and scary that might have been. And it's something I think I'm actually going to have to ask my parents about what, what they actually felt like as uh, kind of living through that as young kids, perhaps. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's a it's a great way of sort of it's a new take on the story by setting it within this historical moment in time, this sort of turning point. And you've got the the you know because she's caught not only between you know the potential threat of you know nuclear destruction, or whatever, but then she's caught between her parents and the adults. You know. Her dad, played by Alessandro Nivola, is an activist. Uh, he he's campaigning for you know for the nuclear disarmament and stuff like that. And then he's got his her her mum, who is basically very passive and weak in the relationship, and she doesn't really know who she wants to follow and stuff like that. And then she's got you know uh, these other figures in her life, the sort of two sort of godfathers, uh, sort of Timothy Spall and, and Oliver Platt, and then another activist play by Annette Benning and stuff like that. So she's not really, you know, she's getting all these conflicting opinions from the adults and, you know, she's seen, you know, her mum is miserable, uh, totally miserable in her work as basically a housewife. You know, she'd given up painting and stuff like that in order to look after her. And I think actually Elle Fanning is like easily the best thing in the film. And But there was like one scene where, it's a scene where Christina Hendricks sort of goes off on her husband for you know not eating the meal and stuff like that where i thought it was it went almost over the top in it's sort of british kitchen sink drama it was almost a, i found that scene almost like a spoof of what people believe that kind of british filmmaking to be and that was a bit that kind of didn't ring true for me but i thought the rest of it was was very well acted i thought yeah absolutely and I, I think like at the core of it that it was this sort of relationship about these sort of two two girls that are so close and you know events sort of like pull them apart there I mean uh, kind of Rosa ends up sort of in a relationship with Ginger's father and I think the fact that when you think of like how you know young these actors you know they, like they are kind of in and around sort of 16 and sort of it it was really sort of a bit jarring at first that like it sort of hinted at this relationship is kind of brewing in the background and there's there's that extra look perhaps in a, a rear view mirror at Rosa and it's it was it it was very interesting and I think like it's one of these movies that I kind of sometimes like with sort of independent films like this like it's it's a you know it's the vision of someone like Sally Porter where she is the writer and director of this movie and she's throwing a lot of different things in it like the the anxiety about the bomb kind of family kind of kitchen sink dynamics you know relationship between two girls and some of it is stronger than others but I think you know in particular sometimes with like independent kind of 
writers and, and directors that sometimes when they get a chance for, for making these movies, and I think it'll be something we'll kind of maybe see kind of through the series, is that people sometimes just throw everything in it because they never know if they're going to get another chance to, to make a movie again, whether someone's going to take a chance on them. And, and you kind of mentioned earlier, Sally Porter's kind of, you know, filmography is, is pretty sparse and limited. So when she gets a chance to make this movie with a budget, with some great cast like Elle Fanning, Christina Hendricks, Timothy Spall, you know, to name a few, why not just sort of throw everything at it and not all of it will stick but it'll make some sort of impression and at least you can say hey that that's happened and you know you won't regret it when it kind of doesn't happen again especially when your kind of next movie is something like The Party which is a, a bit of a black and white kind of small kind of kitchen sink comedy in a way so like I, I certainly don't blame this sort of uh, the thrusting of all these different ideas for better or worse No I mean I can, I can understand sort of now actually thinking back on the film you know the I thought that a lot of the, at the time, that some of the nuclear war stuff was unnecessary because it was like, you know, this is essentially a story of a, a girl coming of age. But now looking back on it, it's like you've got the literal bomb that's about to go off and the fact that, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis is coming. And then also the metaphorical bomb, which is the secret which Rosa and the father are keeping from the rest of the family. And when that bomb finally explodes in the sort of final scene that's when it all the threads sort of come together and you finally sort of really can truly understand what the the film has been about and i thought the the final scene was superb and i thought the the sort of how they all sort of tied it up in the end it was it really sort of tied up in a, a perfect package by the end of it i thought yeah absolutely that kind of final you know kind of one of the penultimate scenes as well where you know she she's sat at that kind of that table and it's all coming out you know what she's anxious about you know that they think she's she's gone mental but really what it is is just everything has completely overwhelmed her the you know you almost see it perhaps a bit of a parallel these days that you know people there's been reports of people dealing with depression and their mental health and sort of they they call it in america sort of the trump effect that sort of the anxiety of living in living a life under sort of a, a trump regime as it well has has infected people's mental health because they can't escape sort of hearing about him seeing him you know and you, you think of when we're kind of recording this all this allegations about sexual misconduct everything like that you can imagine especially if you're kind of a young girl perhaps especially even sort of live with social media everything's just piling on piling on and you think of what it's like to to just be a young girl young person in particular it's an overwhelming time and sometimes that everything feels like it's just snowballing under you and you have those moments where it's just coming out you're you're talking underneath the snotters and tears and everything like that and it's it's tough and i think it it really captures what it might have been like to to really feel that way i I can't say for sure but for sure and yeah i think there's also parallels with today's society and the fact that you know that she's arrested uh at a a protest and has basically sort of said that because of her beliefs that you know these bombs are going to drop and the world's going to end. She's cast as mentally ill, but that's only because she's got a differing opinion to the people in charge. And, you know, we see it, you know, these days with fake news and stuff like that, that, you know, if anyone has a different opinion to the people in charge, they're immediately labelled as liars or they're clearly insane. How could you believe that sort of thing? So uh, I think that's an interesting parallel to draw with the modern society as well. Absolutely. And I, I think, like, 
with with these kind of two movies, I think kind of kind of to, to bring almost sort of a close. I think it's like you know the, there's varying in quality here, but I think the fact that you can sort of have a, a discussion about you know all these different actors, directors, diff- different themes. I think that's something that's going to be kind of a, a bit of a recurring kind of trend over over this. You know, however long this lasts, as lo- at the rate they're releasing movies, I think it, they start at ten and now they're doing twenty a year. I think we're going to have certainly a lot to kind of keep us engaged with and and kind of talking about over the the next few months or years who knows where how long this will kind of go on for yeah i think yeah absolutely correct and i mean the great thing about a24 is that you know i don't think there's any film on this list which you can directly compare to another film on this list the the films you know even if we've been slightly down on these films particularly the first one you know these are not your cookie cutter films these are not your you know they haven't gone with the easy option of just picking something that they know will sell and you know you know that there's a guaranteed audience for this they are picking films which they believe and filmmakers that they believe in and you know that these are voices that need to be heard and they will champion these films and these filmmakers and that's great that they're not going with the you know standard oh let's just go for a you know, hour forty long comedy, or a you know two hour long action film with a big you know explosion at the end, and everything gets tied up in a neat little bundle. They go for films which will challenge people, which will you know cause you know spark debate and conversations and stuff like that, and and long may it continue. Absolutely. So this is the the end of our first episode, but because we're 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 going to do that kind of double night premiere thing, that if you've enjoyed this episode episode two is going to be available kind of straight away so you can kind of find that on your itunes or wherever you're kind of downloading your podcast which will be sort of the the two movies that really sort of kind of launched the the a24 brand the name and sort of their kind of famous marketing style and that's going to be spring breakers and the bling ring so i'm very excited to kind of talk about those two i think those were two i saw at the cinema when they were released and they've they've really gained a kind of notoriety in particular kind of spring breakers and i think there's going to be a lot of kind of exciting chat and discussion to be had with them too yes i I remember watching spring breakers for the first time and was utterly baffled by it but i think this is actually a, a common theme with some of the a24 films i think i did it with the same with uh under the skin i had to watch it a second time and it was on that second viewing that everything sort of clicked into place and i actually understood what uh, harmony corinne was was doing with it but i guess that's a, a conversation for next time so <laughs> absolutely so kind of join us in episode two after you've kind of finished this and and i hope you obviously join us for our next episode and as we're kind of a brand new uh, kind of podcast if you do have any kind of feedback both positive kind of constructive kind of do let us know you know we'll, we'll obviously be kind of refining this over the the movies and the episodes and and obviously one of the best ways to kind of help out a new podcast to kind of stand out is obviously kind of sharing retweeting telling your friends but most importantly if you can leave us a kind of five star review on itunes it, it really can make a difference you know so you know be sure to kind of help us get a bit of a, a shout out there so kind of Dallas if people wanted to reach out to you where can people find you online read your work perhaps by uh, I mentioned at the start of the show you're you're an author as well you we we both do the filibuster podcast here on the kind of the nerd party but if people wanted to to get in touch with you where could people do that well they can uh, get me on twitter at, at champ celluloid uh, my blog is championshipcellular.blogspot.com where I'm reviewing all the latest releases and uh, I wrote a film location book about New York City which you can find on Amazon it's called Exterior New York City and if you just search Dallas King you'll be able to find it on there as well and where will people be able to hit you up on twitter 
yeah you you won't be able to find me in a bookshop like dallas <laughs> but you can find me on twitter at lee underscore nostromo so yeah be sure to also follow us on kind of the nerd party at join nerd party facebook forward slash the nerd party instagram the nerd party or visit the website the so thank you very much for listening everyone and hopefully you'll join us uh, straight away or later on today or next time when we discuss spring breakers and the bling ring have an a24 day bye Join the revolution. Join the nerd party. Welcome to Nerd Party.